Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark as always, episode 326, December the 21st. 2023 we're getting close to the end of the year aren't we mark we are indeed brendan it's sneaking up on us at a rate of knots i'm looking forward to our christmas special mark our seasonal special um we just need to get an agenda sorted and have a think about what we're going to talk about and record it so hopefully listeners subscribers we will have a bit of a bit of a yarn bit of a chat bit of a Bit of a fly in the wall. Listen to Brendan and Mark talking crap as usual in our hey, Christmas special. Hey, Brendan, speaking of uh, being so close to Christmas and you coming from Melbourne, I, I was going to just mention for those people overseas that today is a very special day in Australia. It's the How to Make Gravy Day. The what, what? <laughs> <laughs> One of the famous musicians from from um, from Melbourne, uh, Paul Kelly, wrote a song called "How to Make Gravy," and 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 today it's the story of a, a person who's gotten themselves in jail. And they're writing to their family on the twenty first of December and bemoaning the fact they won't be home to make gravy for the Christmas dinner. And so today, amongst um, many Australians, obviously not you, has become known as How to Make Gravy Day. I've just quickly jumped on and looked at that. I do very much like um, Paul Kelly's um, songs. Um, Interestingly, it was a collaboration that, Mark, did you know? Neil Finn and Paul Kelly. Yes. 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 And, uh, yes, I'm looking at the lyrics. Yes, quite... um, Quite amusing, yes. Well done, um, well done. Um, so, yes, that threw me for a. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to do that there. to you. How to make gravy lyrics? Uh, maybe we should link to it in our podcast. Yes, it is getting close to the end of the end of the year and the season. And as usual, Mark, our, our clinic does take a week off and. Uh, close for that between Christmas and New Year. And I know a lot of clinics do it. Um, we we tend to do that every year because it just doesn't pay its way being open. It's either completely dead or you see nothing and then at the end of the day an emergency rolls up. So we've these days with all the emergency clinics around, we just tend to close and just have a bit of time off. What about it is yourself? a completely different thing, isn't it? When we graduated, there wasn't the number of emergency clinics in it, and it was something that you're expected to do. And like you said, the days were frustrating in that you'd be at work and, and very slow until the end of the day when people obviously got home and opened the chocolates and the dog had a go at them, and then there was an emergency. Uh, but yeah, well, they'd have a few beverages and a few more and then they decide to oh, have a snooze and then um, wake up and think, oh, I better take the dog to the vet. Better call the vet. Better vaccinate, better vaccinate yeah, the dog. vaccinate the dog. I need to worm the dog. I better find the emergency <laughs> line. Yes. How do I get this worm tablet down my dog? <laughs> yes. So we might talk about that sort of thing during our Christmas special, I think, Mark. 
So I think jumping on to, we do have a news story this week. We've been a bit um, slack with our news stories this one. It's about a, a, a pretty dramatic looking frog, isn't it, Mark? Um, the second batch of the endangered southern corroboree frogs here in Australia have been released into the Kosciuszko National Park. And these were frogs that uh, were a continued effort to boost the numbers of the endangered species since the Australian Black Summer bushfires, Mark. And it's the second batch that were released earlier this year. And uh, they're doing quite well, aren't they? They, they? It's very pleasing to see the number of them that are going well and and they were they were pretty. I think they were threatened before those fires, yes. and, and now they've become endangered. Um, but the breeding program is uh, is relatively successful. Shout out to the teams at um, the at uh, Taronga and Melbourne Zoo who do an awesome job with those uh, with those populations of captive frogs, and they produce a fairly big number of them, like uh, something like hundred. So. Yeah, yes. were released. Yes. And that's a significant boost to uh, to the the uh, the, the um, southern corroboree frogs in Striking the wild. Striking looking frogs, Mark, aren't they? These frogs, these black and black and yellow um, coloration that they have on them. Although they only, just don't look real, do they, Brendan? They're only um, and they're only little little buggers, aren't they? They're, they're tiny. Um, they that they you know you'd fit probably a dozen of them in the palm of your hand, wouldn't you? They do, as they're letting them go. And the other thing that's interesting about them is uh, the way they like the the um, sphagnum bogs, the mossy bogs of the very, very high country, um, which, of course, uh, makes them even more vulnerable. And being one of the species of uh, amphibians that has a relatively small range, they... Uh, um, they are exquisitely sensitive to those, you know, the chytrid fungus that has wiped out other populations of uh, frogs that have uh, exquisitely small ranges. So um, it's good that they're sort of hopeful too that um, there might be some resistance developed amongst the frogs. I don't, I don't think they're actually doing anything in the breeding program to no. promote that. But um, it'd be nice if the if the frogs developed a little bit of well, just, well, don't want to put too much pressure on the frogs, but they're a bit more resistant to those things that... Uh, lift your game. In trouble. Yeah, that's right. Lift Little black game. and yellow bastard, lift yeah. your game. <laughs> lift your game and uh, stop being a prima donna. No, they're great-looking frogs and I wish them the best, Mark. Um, so it's good to hear a, a good news story, Mark, for once. Good news story. <laughs> From us, a good news it's, story. It's particularly good because so many of those captive breeding programs, I reckon they don't necessarily always uh, result in the, you know, a, they're a good yes. effort, but, um, but they're not. But this one does seem to be, um, seem to be the goods, Brendan. Yes. And that's, that's the um, debate, isn't it, with... Um, some of these captive breeding programs um, or endangered species recovery programs that, you know, at what point do you decide, throw up your arms and say, this is not working and do we stop throwing money at trying to rescue this species and do we focus on another species? It's, it's a difficult decision, isn't it? Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the one making it because I'd probably be a little bit cutthroat about it all, Brendan. I... I I sort of think if you're not going to look after the environment, 
you can breed as many regent honey it is or um corroboree frogs <laughs> corroboree frogs and the environments like they're going to go into an environment that causes them trouble but um and it might be a topic for another another news story but uh, i know recently the the um the new i think it's the new south wales government has um started up the cull of the brumbies in the parks um, and those are animals that do cause some uh, real problems for the bogs that the frogs live in so so yeah there there are environmental changes that might be making a difference for our frogs yes well i have no segue to our main story <laughs> this week mark but it's one that you suggested we um chat about and we have touched on it previously but having an actual main topic for it's a great idea it, and it's complaints complaints to veterinary veterinary clinics or complaints about veterinarians from from clients is that um, what we're going to chat about Mark? that's the topic we're going to hit up brendan we're going to um have a yarn about complaints i was i was prompted to suggest we have a talk about this because i saw on the front page of the Veterinary Information Network, a VIN, a story about Ontario uh, regulators have noted and are researching a surge in complaints in their jurisdiction. And um, and I thought uh, it's always a um, – it played on my mind when I was a, a – uh, uh, owned a practice and was uh, active in small animal uh, – um, general accession practice played on my mind quite a lot and I'm sure there's lots of uh, veterinarians out there who think a lot about the risks associated with complaints and and headlines like this that suggest there's a surge I reckon that would worry a lot of veterinarians so I thought we'd have a little bit of a, a look at some of the yes. um, details and and particularly in the the um the jurisdiction I'm in, I'm, I'm sort of aware of some of those. So they might not apply everywhere, but I, I wouldn't be surprised that there are some parallels, contrast and compare, you know, the, the there'll be some things that are the same and some things that are different in each yes. jurisdiction. And interestingly enough, the, um, and not unsurprising, Mark, for the Canadian Ontario um, regulators um, report, the rise was complaints rose by 30% during 2019 and 2022. And a lot of it can coincided with the onset of COVID. It's interesting, isn't which it? Which obviously saw an increase in waiting times and appointments and heightened dependence on remote care, according to the article. And the results of the investigation so far suggested that telemedicine, Mark, is not a major factor in the surge in complaints, but the issue is often involving clients' angst and expectations concerning wait times for care. So you could certainly see how it would increase during that, you know, COVID area where everybody was stressed, including veterinarians and certainly clients um, and the increased pressure on veterinary clinics, Mark, but it's not just covid related is it um the increasing complaints that we see well i think the, the, it definitely was um uh for that ontario case study i think uh the most the latest um the latest years have have returned to a more normal 
um, number of complaints. So in 2018, there was 237 complaints to the the uh, College of Vet- Veterinarians in Ontario, and that rose to 350-odd in 2021, uh, but this year, as of November 2nd, there was only 162. They're on track to hit about 200, which is back to pre-COVID levels. Yes. So it does appear that that surge, as you said, was largely associated with with COVID and interestingly not with the telemedicine, but like you said, the the I can just see it too. The, the, it just, to me, points to that whole COVID complaints thing points to the huge amount of non-verbal communication the thing I found about COVID was that I was talking to people as much but obviously I couldn't see their body language they couldn't see mine and that stripped away a lot of excellent communication and and increased people's anxiety and so having to wait uh, um, being separated from the animal, um, worried about things and anxiety rising invariably leads to an increase in complaints. Interestingly enough, Brendan, that uh, Ontario data, there's uh, what was the, the number of veterinarians in that jurisdiction is about 5,300 registered veterinarians. And um, at its peak, they were looking at 350 complaints Yes. Each year, and uh, and I'm I'm I am pretty pleased to uh, report that in New South Wales, which has four thousand five hundred, so eight hundred less registered veterinarians, the the total number of complaints has been about well something around in eighty seven. It was in in 2022, and it's sort of steadily climbed over the last uh, 10 years from uh, uh, something of the order of 30 complaints a year, um, now up to just shy of 90 in 2022. But that, that's a, a pretty good... Order of magnitude yeah. lower, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. One of the concerns, I think, with their report was that um, during that period where the complaints surged there in that region of Canada, they ha- they currently have a backlog of roughly six hundred cases, Mark, and it's ta- and they mentioned that it's taken about two years for cases to move through the system. So, you could imagine the stress that puts on both the both the clients and the veterinarians, and certainly the 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 um, the um, review board um, or whatever you call them um, who deal with that. And I know you. You've um, had had um, experience with that. It would be tricky, wouldn't it? Well, it, it, it's definitely the the time taken is definitely one of the most distressing things about the complaint. And complaints in general, they are often when surveys are done of veterinarians leaving the profession, who who have graduated, work for a while, and then leave. Aspects of complaints from clients are one of the most uh, commonly referred to factors encouraging those people to leave clinical practice. And so there's no doubt that those complaints uh, add, uh, add a degree of, um, of significance to the veterinary shortage. You know, they're, they're a, a significant component of it. 
interestingly enough, there's been uh, um, across Australia a bit of a, a reflection and review on the way that um, complaints are handled because some jurisdictions have had the same sorts of problems as in Ontario, that is a backlog and and uh, and yep. significant uh, weights as a consequence of the number of complaints. And I think I'm always pleased that the circumstance in our jurisdiction in New South Wales is such that if you are a complainant, you phone up the the uh, the veterinary board. They have office staff who are trained to work people through the aspects of the complaint. So I suspect there's less, um, you know, the people have had a discussion about what they might complain about, what their concerns are. And sometimes their concerns, while worrying to them, might not necessarily be grounds for complaints. For example, um, most aspects of financial issues in, um, in New South Wales the cost of veterinary care is not a reason for complaint. Communication about it might well be that um, people weren't appraised, but to be appraised and then say that, that it was too much is not a reason for a complaint in New South Wales. So uh, people being able to call the board and have a talk to them before they make a complaint, I think that is a really... Um, a significant step that makes a difference, and and ex the uh, excellent, excellently trained people in the board office who speak to those people do a great job for the profession. Yes. Now, as far as the actual complaint process, Mark, you wanted to have a little chat about that. So, if somebody feel formally contacts contacts the board, will certainly in in. New South Wales and here in Victoria as well, and I'm sure with most of the most of the jurisdictions, what's what's the process that then must happen there? Well, initially, the complaint against a veterinarian is uh, submitted to the board, and uh, the board uh, will um, will. Uh, notify the veterinarian once they have a a complaint. They'll acknowledge the complaint to you know to the they'll acknowledge receipt of the complaint to the complainant. They'll seek a, a response from the veterinarian. Now that response is uh, actually goes to the complainant, and so my advice always is to frame it in terms of uh, you don't want to be. Uh, I suppose, too accusatory of a complainant, you know, just uh, the basic facts and the the, the uh, medical aspects. Uh, maybe some of the things that uh, the clients didn't understand in verbal communication, or maybe something that one member of a couple wasn't present for in an explanation, a, a response from a veterinarian may explain that and put an end to the, um, the complaint at that point. The complainant then then can uh, make a response to the the veterinary response so the original complaint a response from the veterinarian a final comment from the complainant goes to the complaints committee um, and uh, the complaints committee then then makes an assessment of the complaint now what tends to happen is that those 
uh, complaints are either dismissed uh, in you know which always makes the veterinarian happy after they've been adequately considered they might be um, there might be some expert opinion sort there, there um, might be specific issues of the the complaint that the complaints committee particularize that they go this is the the problem as we see it in terms of the legislation um, uh, but those um, findings are generally if they are if they are found to have um, a case to answer those findings these days are more and more streamed in more and more jurisdictions into health issues um, and the majority of those health issues are um, are associated with uh, um, uh, substance abuse th- and, and uh, uh, related sorts of problems um, they might be uh, performance related issues so the the you know a veterinarian might be uh, might have misread an x-ray or might have missed a differential diagnosis on a, a blood test or they might actually be conduct issues where uh, there's been a, a cases of unprofessional conduct where um, matters of honesty or professional, uh, you know, that, those sorts of perf- uh, actual conduct issues uh, occur. The good thing about that sort of process where they're streamed into those issues because it's increasingly become apparent that punishing all vets who are found to have have a case to answer for a complaint is is counterproductive. It doesn't necessarily make the right thing happen for the vet. It doesn't necessarily um, ensure they're going to improve into the future, and it may not necessarily be the best outcome for the complainant either. So, while conduct issues, con- conduct complaints, when they're found to have a case to answer, will often have a punitive component performance and health issues tend to be streamed into you know if you've made a mistake with an x-ray maybe you need to uh, do some continuing education in radiographic interpretation or if you have uh, a health issue a substance abuse issue you might be funneled into the uh, the veterinarian health program where a program of recovery from those uh, issues is uh, is put into place, allowing you to um, uh, um, maintain your your uh, you know if you have a substance abuse abuse issue and your your professional uh, life is taken away from both your earnings and your self respect go that has a tendency to make it more likely that there'll be ongoing problems. Whereas um, if uh, someone can work through a recovery with a health professional, um, they're more likely to stay in the profession and and uh, and um, not return to the issues that yep. um, that lead them into those problems. Now you wanted to chat a little bit about some of the statistics, specifically with the New South Wales Veterinary Board mark and the number of complaints and the percentage of different types of complaints or outcomes as well, didn't you? I was particularly interested to talk about the outcomes because um, I think that there is the perception, at least when I talk to my colleagues, there's the perception that, oh, my goodness, I've got a complaint in, in, uh, in with the board 
and uh, if it's found that I've got a case to answer, my life will be over and, and you know, I'll, I'll be barred, I'll be deregistered, I won't be able to be a vet anymore. Where, and while there are certain specific cases where deregistration has occurred, this is a relatively uncommon um, event. Um, and the vast majority of, uh, of complaints they, they don't end up with um, with a vet being prevented from being a vet anymore. There are so just to give a rough idea of the uh, the numbers in in uh, two thousand and twenty two, um, there was a total of uh, uh, eighty one complaints. Of those, uh, um, the sixty eight were dismissed. That is, they were considered. Um, and the veterinarian was found to have no case to answer. So that's well over um, three quarters of them were dismissed. Now, 12 of them, 12 of the veterinarians were uh, issued with a caution, that is that their, their professional conduct was not satisfactory, and that may have entailed a, um, you know, a performance issue or whatever. And one of those complaints in the whole year, only one complaint um, uh, resulted in a significant reprimand uh, due to uh, unprofessional conduct. So the, the, while they play on our mind quite a lot when we're in clinical practice that we're going to have you know, our life ruined by a complaint, they're not an overwhelming, the numbers are not overwhelming. And uh, particularly if as most vets are trying to do the right thing all the time, the most of those cases are often the result of miscommunication. And so when they get to the board and communication is cleared up, those cases are often dismissed. Yeah. Now, I liked one of the statistics there that was um, – Presenting a, a, um, a little pie chart, Mark, of, of the complaints by species. I knew you'd love uh, complaints that. by species. Seventy <laughs> percent were dog com- complaints about dog uh, treatment or dog dogs. Um, Sixteen, eighteen percent cat. Um, one bird. Mark, other four percent, and then horse two percent, which is interesting. I would have thought there may be more greater percentage of complaints about treatment of horses, and nil four, which was five percent. And I presume that's just a, com- a general complaint against the veterinary yeah. surgeon. Would that be the case? With that? that's right. Yep. Yep. So, what's your thoughts on that, Mark? Um, mostly dogs. Seventy percent were complaints about treatment of dogs. Look, and I think this is one area, particularly with our podcast, it's worth just canvassing change that um, that I think that um, this is my read on it. That's mainly an expectation thing. I think a lot of our um, exotic clients don't necessarily, well, haven't in the past necessarily had exceedingly uh, overarching expectations you know, they, they're, they're just happy to get to talk to someone who knows something. And often when we talk to them, we're letting them know that those exotic species are well advanced generally with serious problems when we get to see them. We're not seeing them early on. And so I think that 
excellent communication of the exotic veterinarian and the nature of the client expectations means there's proportionately less complaints historically attributed to those species. But I think the bad news, Brendan, is that we've done ourselves a disservice by being so good as exotic and avian veterinarians that we've raised the expectation amongst the general public. And of course, things like COVID and the way that people bond to their pets, um, creating that huge emotional bond also raises their expectations. So I would say that we will see an increase in the number of uh, complaints um, from these relatively small percentages. I expect them to rise um, as we uh, as we get into the next few years. Sorry to report that. Very interesting, Mark. Um, we will see if that prediction comes true. Any other, you had a couple of other little, I think you've covered most of the points you wanted to uh, mention there, Mark, um, mentioning that, um, intre- well, <laughs> that pie chart about, so, and it's not unsurprising that if you looked at the uh, the outcomes and, and that most veterinarians were satisfied with the outcome of the investigation yes. and yet most complainants clients were dissatisfied with the outcome uh, with the do you want to comment on that well i think that's just a reflection of the the, it's it's very interesting that many clients uh don't many complainants don't see the board as they see the board as sometimes being protective of the industry and the veterinarians involved i've never seen that i certainly would would say that the board's are very proud of the profession and work to make the profession uh, as good as it possibly can be, but um, but that certainly doesn't mean protecting the veterinarians from complaints. Um, but I think uh, that's the you know perception maybe from some of, some of the complainants whose uh, complaints are, are dismissed. And uh, conversely, the veterinarians are generally satisfied with the outcome. But interestingly, the converse is true when you look at uh, the, the concern for the complainants about the process. They're generally very happy with the process. It yes. is an exhaustive process. Um, but that's the thing the veterinarians really struggle with because it usually takes, I think, the average last year, um, was about 163 days. So that's essentially six months, four to six months. And, um, and geez, that's, you know, f- to be worried about the outcome of a complaint for half a year, I recognise that, um, that that's a stress on, on a veterinarian's uh, life. But, um, but geez, uh, like you were saying, when we looked at the Ontario one, some of those complaints were getting out towards um, 18 months and crackies. That, that would just be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? For all, yeah, for all involved, yes. Well, so my, my closing remarks, Brendan, yes. are um, that uh, having looked at, um, well, I think I was, look, I was looking the other day and I have been, with my involvement in the board, I've probably been involved in 600-odd complaints over the last 12 years. And and I can tell you my take-home message is communication is everything, um, that the vast majority of those complaints um, 
excellent communication with the client um, is is key and excellent record taking. If you can um, have contemporaneous notes of your discussions, of the um, medical aspects of the case, um, those notes are exculpatory. If they, uh, you know, the, the board is in a very difficult position to say that that uh, you got it wrong when your notes uh, are exhaustive and complete. Um, and I know how hard that is personally. I know how hard that is. But if there's one thing I could say to veterinarians as they start their career, get in the habit of writing uh, um, excellent medical records that also include details of those uh, uh, communications with clients and then work at that communication with clients. And that'll lessen the likelihood of uh, formal complaints to the veterinary board significantly, Brendan. Well, I've no complaints about that, Mark. Well said. (laughs) And we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thank you.